Welcome to the Context Podcast by Proofgeist, where we get to talk about whatever is going on in the FileMaker community. I'm your host, Martha Zink, and on this episode, I'm joined by Angela Lucci and Todd Geist. We are going to focus on hosting. It's something that Angela's been doing for a long time, uh, and we'll talk about hosting with FileMaker Server. Now, you might be on-premise, you might be in the cloud, uh, maybe you're hosting it yourself or you're going through a hosting provider. It doesn't really matter. What does matter is that you keep a few things in mind to make sure that we protect your data and protect your business. So let's check it out. All right, I've got Todd Geist and I've got Angelo Lucci here. And uh, Angelo, I've known you for a, quite a long time. Uh, you've been part of the FileMaker community for a very long time. Uh, and obviously your specialty is hosting. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Just what's your background? Um, what do you love to do? All those great things. Yeah, so I got involved in the hosting world around 2003, which is when I co-located just a small handful of servers in Boston and started putting together um, you know, low-cost entry, uh, FileMaker hosting, web hosting, email hosting for just a you know few handfuls of clients, little projects that I took up on the side. Um, from there, it just uh, became a, a active hobby through the years as I worked for several different uh, FileMaker houses. And uh, finally, uh, in uh, 09, when the industry started to to get a little rocky, um, I was uh, forced to to jump out of my dev position and jump full into the world of hosting. So I put all my eggs in and, and uh, went hog wild. <laughs> and through that, that, that entire experience, you know, I, I jumped from co-located machines to, you know, public clouds. I was using AWS at that time, uh, 2006, when they first started. And it was scary then, let me tell you. <laughs> you could uh, accidentally power off a machine and it would be gone forever. All your data, gone. So backup plans were, were mandatory at that point in time too. But uh, yeah, just a, um, a whirlwind of uh, uh, cloud providers and, and uh, my own equipment uh, out there in the world for, for almost two decades now. That's awesome. And then today, where are you today? Let's talk about the today because it's pretty exciting what we're doing at Proofgeist. So what, yeah. what's, what's your setup these days? So right now we are a true multi-cloud host. Uh, we're 25 data centers worldwide. We've got a full DevOps setup. So active monitoring, multiple backup paths and recovery options, and a really good team behind our platform to service, monitor, maintain, and uh, you know, take care of our customers. All of this is is now backed up with uh, with Auto on the platform, which is which is really great. So now we've 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 added to our DevOps tool set, and we give back to the community with our uh, auto included instances. And the name of that hosting platform is Automatic. Automatic, that's right. That's right. And that's what we'll make on automatic. That's that's its tagline sort of one of its taglines. Totally. Yeah, yeah, that's great. All right, cool. Well, I think for this podcast we really just want to talk about hosting, about protecting your data, um, really dive into your experience and Todd obviously you've been a big player in in creating some software for, you know, obviously you've created auto. So I think getting your input on some of these things would be good too. Um, but let's just hear about some of your experiences. I know you've got some thoughts about uh, ransomware. Uh, you've had experiences with internal threats. Um, just spoiler alert that I like to keep these podcasts light and sweet. I have a feeling that uh, you're going to test me today, but we'll try <laughs> to keep it. 
I'll try to keep a smile for part of it, but I realize it won't be all uh, unicorns and rainbows today. <laughs> no matter no matter what happens, though, you have to keep a positive attitude or else it's just going to fall apart. So right. even though That's we're talking right. about ransomware, we are still happy and excited about new avenues of, of, of threats and things that we need to mitigate. So that's perfect. That's, that's the it. exciting part. Awesome. I love it. All right. So why don't we, why don't, where do you want to start? Do you want to start talking about maybe some internal threats or what that's like, some experiences you've had in that category maybe? Yeah. So, you know, with internal threats, we've got a couple of things. We've got an accidental internal threat. We've got intentional internal threats and, and, you know, both are, are, are catastrophic when it, when it comes down to it. Um, accidental uh, threat would be a situation where a client accidentally deletes, you know, all your records, or gets into schema and trying to add a field to a layout and blows apart your 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 tos or your fields or whatever it might be. Um, situations like that can be pretty easily mitigated with you know snapshotting, um, which is something that that we do, other providers do. Uh, we're able to roll back that data. 20, 40, 60 minutes past uh, or, or further uh, to get that, that customer back up and running pretty quickly. And, you know, you yourself can do this stuff as well. All the tools are built into many of the operating systems. So setting up a snapshotting system is, is straightforward. Um, we have our in, intentional threats. You know, we've got a, a, a sort of a controversial nonprofit that, that, that we've seen uh, and done work for, and they've had issues with uh, employees getting hired and trying to to sabotage their their data sets uh, or remove their data. Um, so we had to to implement some early on mitigation for for that, uh, setting them up with no direct filemaker access except through uh, a portal where we're hosting filemaker. Uh, we call it apps on demand. But they can log in. They have access to the stream. It's um, two-factor uh, authenticated as well, and then everything is logged. So all of their access is traipsed through our system. Uh, we can also uh, modify their menus in FileMaker to notify us when users are deleting data, so they can see if somebody is purging data from their database or even accessing data from that database. But it's all dumped into Slack so they get real-time notifications. It's <laughs> the quickest thing we could do uh, for, for web integration with that. But you know, that backup's invaluable. And then limiting access through multiple methods and being able to log that and call that up if there was something in question. Again, invaluable in that situation. Have either of you seen anything like that in your tenure? Well, I've definitely had issues where employees who might be leaving um, try to get hold of the database, you know, for customer records and things like that. Um, so, yeah, like, and this gets really tricky because, especially now in the modern sort of view of how you build applications, a database might have credentials to other applications. So, you might have your QuickBooks login information um, or your QuickBooks, you know, authentication system. Might, might be part of your FileMaker database. So somebody getting hold of that and be, being able to get into that um, uh, is, you know, can, can present a lot of problems. Certainly having a database encrypted at rest is a big help here too. Big help. Um, which, we, which the Claire's platform allows. Um, doing things with dev servers and production servers where you can actually have uh, 
where developers can have no access to production data. Mm-hmm. Another another way you can help lock down um, that kind of risk. That's right. With auto, you can. You, what do you do? You export a clone and uh, yep. do a data import on the prod side. So there is no touching of data. Period. Right. So the devs, the developers, literally don't have access to defined database in, in production. That access can be limited only to, you know, execs or or people who are specifically allowed to be able to get in get into the production data. Otherwise, everything's done on dev, and dev doesn't have sensitive data or sensitive credentials or things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've had a client in the past where it was similar, a client, well, the, the a user was leaving and they were very worried that they were going to take some of the data either to a competitor or that they would just download it and, you know, try to get their own customers out of this information. So um, for that one, uh, it was it was more of a user management issue and that they didn't expect it coming. And so we had to go backwards and do some stuff with backups. We also had some logs built so that they could track who was logging in and who was logging out, you know, in a, in a more user-friendly way than a, than a server log. Um, but yeah, there's definitely lots of my optimistic side did not expect that. And then I had a lot of lessons <laughs> to learn, but there, <laughs> there it was. <laughs> uh, but it was a good lesson and to be reminded of, of user management's pretty important. Uh, and I've never been an accidental threat. <laughs> I'm sure neither of you have ever been an accidental threat. <laughs> Data deletion, all the things, right? I mean, I, I know as a developer, I've had my uh, in the in my younger days. Yeah. I remember definitely destroying some data and being highly dependent on backups. So I know the <laughs> oh, feeling. <yeah. laughs> Runaway script that just topples everything for you. Those, those I, I once wrote. Ones. I once wrote a runaway script. Sorry, I knew the script was running away. I didn't have access to the server admin oh, console. And so I wrote a backup running away script that was deleting the the records that were getting created. It was a total, it was a total mess. I mean, <laughs> eventually we fixed it, but it, it was definitely a weird mitigation in there. So, th- so this is the, these are examples. Um, well, some of these are examples of why you need a good backup routine, of course, which I think we'll get to in a little bit, but mm-hmm. that's, that's, you know, you've got encryption at rest, you've got good backups, you've got good user management control. Um, those kinds of things are 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 pretty important for just being able to make sure that your data stays your data and is is correct. It's not lost. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we talk about backups? I think that's such an important an important thing to discuss, but it's something that everyone talks about, but maybe not everyone really understands what levels of backups we're talking about or how consistently they should do it. I know that uh, when you first install, you know, Claris. Uh, when you install FileMaker Server, it has certain defaults, but are those good enough? Should we be doing more? What are your What's your take on on the backup schedules and things like that? Always need to do more. You can okay. never have enough backups, no matter what you're involved in. Um, you know, there there is a golden rule in backups. It's it's three, two, one. You've got three different backup types, two different media's, and one offsite. And that is a great golden rule to follow when you are dealing with mission critical data. I mean, and data that, that runs a business, mission critical. Can you survive without that data? Well, only time would tell if you didn't have a backup. Because it's it's not a question of, of you know, how. It's, it's a question of when. Because right. something will fail eventually, and you will need that backup. Now, can, um, I was going to say, can, can you talk about the difference, say, between a OS level snapshot and a backup versus the backups that FileMaker server provides. 
Yeah, so FileMaker Server, um, depending on your retention with those backups, will do a couple of different things. So having a zero retention, it's going to basically do a full backup every single time. Now, you add some numbers to that and say you want to retain seven. It's going to look between those and files that didn't change will not get backed up, but instead be hard linked to the previous. So it will save you space in the long run and you know not, not use up um, valuable resources in backing up those files if they haven't changed. And you know backups with FileMaker can be very server intensive, especially if you've got massive amounts of container data. Um, but if it can hard link uh, items that, 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 that don't change frequently, it will speed things up and, and you're good to go. Now, OS level backups, again, can be uh, uh, similar um, where you can do uh, uh, backup snapshots um, within the OS, like Microsoft has uh, VSS snapshots. Uh, that has to work in conjunction with uh, other tools if you want to do uh, backups of your live data. So in, in, in a situation where, where we are, with our Windows servers, we would initiate a pause and a resume in between a VSS snapshot. That way, FileMaker can write all the data in memory to those files. We can back it up effectively, and it's not in a crash state, and then resume it. The uh, whole process usually takes under two seconds to complete, um, and it's, it, again, a very effective tool. But snapshots are not backups. That is something to, to keep in mind and to distinguish going forward it's always good to have a full copy that wasn't put together with deltas. Um, so, so always have the full backup in addition to snapshots if you're doing snapshotting. Now, there are tools and other software applications out there that can assist you with backups, and many of them will back up uh, the FileMaker hosted data in a quote-unquote crash state. So you do have to be smart about what you're doing. So either back up the backups or you write some scripts in between things to pause and resume when they hit that data set. So um, maybe just to flesh that out a bit. So in order to do an OS level snapshot, you're either, or an OS level backup, you either want to be doing files that are closed, backed up, or you have to issue, you have to integrate with FileMaker server and write some kind of system commands, probably using FMS admin, command line tool or the or the admin API to pause those databases before you do the backups and that and if they're not paused you're saying they're in a crash state and and that's that state where you open the file and it says the file was not closed properly right Correct. that's that that's what that state you may have if you're a file maker developer I'm sure you've seen a file where or you know you've dragged a file um, that was open on your desktop you copied it somewhere else and then you open it and it says, oh, the file is not closed properly. And that's what you're talking about, right? That's what that crash state means? That's correct. That's correct. So you have to do a little extra work to make that happen. You have to make sure that you're writing either REST commands to the data, to the admin API or system commands using FMS admin to make sure you pause and resume uh, in between that, that OS snapshot taking off or, or kicking off. That's correct. What about um, what about offsite backups? I know that that's we talk about S three backups all the time, but 
but you know, are there services you recommend? What does that mean? What you know, what's that for the layman's terms? I remember when it used to be an offsite backup was literally taking a drive, yeah, taking it to the bank and putting it in a lockbox. So is that what we're still doing? (laughs) You know, in in today's world of ransomware attacks, tape backup is still your best bet, no matter which way you look at it. Um, it's it's seen a resurgence in its popularity because of that. But immutable offsite backups through an S3 provider whether it be AWS or Wasabi or Backblaze, there are many out there that provide um, S3 compatible services. Um, They can give you a a very high level of reliable backup connectivity. And uh, a lot of cloud providers are um, increasing their speed to to these S3 providers. So data moving back and forth will, will be much faster than it used to be. Um, we, for instance, will back up nightly, compress it, put it on S3, and it is immutable for uh, 90 to 100 days, meaning no one can delete it, no one internally, no one externally. That data is there for that time period, and then it will cycle itself out. Um, that protects us against you know, a ransomware attack, for instance, or, or, or someone who might Not deletable or editable. Or editable. Cannot that's be correct. changed. That is yeah. correct. It can only be downloaded. That's it. Yeah. And if you've got encryption at rest, you're you're double protected right there. Yeah, and 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 the reason why that's important is in if these ransomware attacks will search your drives for copies of the data, and they will just encrypt whatever they find. So by having something backed up offsite to to something like S3, where it's set up as immutable. They can't touch it. Once the file is uploaded to S3, it cannot be ransomware locked like it can be if it's sitting on your server. If it's sitting on your server and you get you get hit by ransomware, your backups are going to get hit by ransomware too. They're not going to be protected unless they're offsite. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. I've seen several instances um, in my tenure doing this where um, you know ransomware threat actors, and they're usually live when they do this. I was actually able to. Uh, see one in action um, through a series of monitoring, which alerted me to a, a ransomware attack that was happening on a, a old, old server uh, years ago. I was able to see the steps that they went to, the websites that they went to, to pull these tools down. It's all out there on GitHub too, which is the worst part of it. So they were able to get through you know, most firewall rules that block certain sites and just pull down um, these tools to sniff and inspect uh, networks and then start the encryption process. Um, but again, if you've got good monitoring and good backups, you can be alerted almost immediately to this stuff happening. At a, I know that at Pause, uh, Wim Decourt and Heidi um, Porter and uh, uh, and Chris Moyer, they talked a lot about ransomware. They I think yeah. they did a, like a double session for this because it's such a big deal. Uh, but it's easy to ignore, right? It's easy to think it's it won't happen to me. It's not that big of a deal. My data is not that precious. This is all probably not exactly true. So um, talk about the impact that ransomware can really have in our world and that you've seen happen before. So the the last threat I saw was about four years ago. And this is the one I was just speaking of that I, that I found um, handling this. They left a note on the instance that they were connected to saying they wanted 50,000 US dollars in Bitcoin transferred. And I did some research after the fact just to, to follow up and, and understand a little bit more on, on what they were looking for. And I reached out to some 
uh, quote unquote ransomware experts and people who could, you know, decrypt um, <laughs> your files. And the truth of the matter is, is they really can't unless someone's released those decryption keys or software to do that. They actually charge you double of what the ransomware is going to be. They pay them X amount and they keep the rest is what the the plan is with, with the quote unquote ransomware decrypting people out there. Um, you can negotiate with these folks um, was another thing I found out. A lot will do it for less money. But again, if, if you can't pay that demand and you don't have backups to restore, I mean, what do you do? Do you start from scratch? You you go back as far as you can and and sort of rebuild. Do you have a paper trail that that helps do this in an all digital world? I mean, how many businesses out there keep uh, you know paper records of all the stuff in their database? I don't know very many. <laughs> you have to pay it. Is basically what happens. I mean, uh, I mean, if at all possible, you come reach some agreement. Um, I should mention before I forget that Wim and Chris and Heidi were on. The, the context podcast. That's right. With just three back. episodes back, so not too far. So we'll make sure we have a link to to that in the in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I think Jeremy followed up with me after that podcast and and asked a few questions uh, about um, what we did to mitigate ransomware attacks, and uh, he had bounced what I had said back to Wim and 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 Heidi and whatnot, and um, you know everyone was pretty much in agreement with policies and plans put in place to, to remediate that. That's great. And so, so we're saying these things can happen quickly. They can happen unexpectedly. Uh, so what are you doing to catch these things? You mentioned monitoring a bit ago and being able to catch and see what steps were happening, but what kind of monitoring do you, do you recommend? Yeah. So there are many tools out there to monitor. If you're hosted with AWS, you've got, uh, AWS CloudWatch. Um, you can deploy your own Zabbix server. There's a company called New Relic that's got some decent monitoring. You know, all of these are, are, are great tools, but they're not going to be complete out of the box. You're going to need to do some configuration, some testing, and you're going to need to understand where your thresholds are because you don't want crazy numbers of alerts to come through because then it'll just turn to noise, especially if they don't mean much to you. So if you are... Um, proficient in those tools or can, you know, essentially Google foo your way through and, and find what you need to, to find to, to, to do that. You can, you can get a pretty reliable uh, monitoring platform in place. Um, we've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours perfecting a Zabbix farm that helps us self heal. It, it alerts us in real time when, you know, disk IO and CPU usage are, are high so we know when something's wrong. We, we can tell when even a, a script is a runaway script at this point um, and, and help a developer or a customer you know, fix or mitigate that situation as well. Yeah, like when the encryption kicks off, it's going to spike CPU, right? Big so, time. Yeah, so it's pretty obvious when something like that's going on that, that somebody's trying to encrypt everything on, everything on that computer. And the monitoring tools are only as good as the team that's monitoring it. So if you've got no one on call or standby to to receive these alerts, you know, you might as well not have any monitoring at all. But, you know, yeah. if, if you've got a good team and you got the tools behind it, then it's an effective platform in a first uh, defense line. All right. So, Angela, do you get to actually sleep at some point or are you just always <laughs> monitoring, monitoring the monitors? 
No, I get to sleep occasionally. All right, good. <laughs> At least do, once a week. Do do VPNs um, or other or, or firewalls play a role in protecting you against against uh, ransomware attackers? They can most certainly. Um, the more portals and avenues that that you can cut off to threat actors, the better you are. So you know, let's talk about firewalls. You've got software firewalls built into OSs, Linux and Windows, Mac, they all have a software level of firewall. They're okay, but they're not perfect. And and same for hardware firewalls. They're they're not they're not great, but or I should say they're not perfect, but you know, they will they will do an excellent job especially if you keep up with patches and updates. Um in the past I've seen uh, VPN firewalls go unpatched and cause uh, be the cause of a ransomware attack. Uh, Fortinet had a, a huge issue with that a couple of years ago, um, where an unpatched vulnerability led to almost 500,000 VPN user accounts to be uh, broadcast on dark web. And people were just helping themselves and going into networks, ransomwareing networks like crazy. Um, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that you've got to keep on top of, especially if you're, you're dealing with your infrastructure yourself. But to, to, to limit access uh, through, you know, uh, a central point, whether it be VPN, uh, Bastion host, or, you know, even a service like Zero Tier, which gives you a, a sort of, a, a, what do you call it? Um, Zero Trust of, Network. Or Zero that, Trust Network. Yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, out of band networking. Yeah. You know, it's essentially VPN-less VPN. Um, but, but tools like that can, can help restrict access from the public web and get your people into the things that need to be gotten into. What about FTP? That's got to be a problem too, right? Because we're opening, you know, th there's times where we want to push stuff to a server. We're going to process something. We're getting something from another data source. That's pretty common these days. So what, what does that mean for security? FTP's, you know, fine for certain things. I, I, I think it's an outdated technology still has some use today, can be easily replaced with uh, SFTP or SSH transfers. You could also replace it with uh, access credentials and S3 access to, to get data back and forth. And, and those may be better avenues. Um, you know, anything outside your network uh, or outside of the server that you need to get onto, but still has high-speed access, probably a benefit to, uh, to your security and your sanity at that point. So do uh, so for automatic, we do allow SFTP access, right? We have servers, we, we especially for the Linux platform where there's no where there's no remote desktop. It's kind of essential that we're able to provide that. Is That's that, true? that is correct, and yeah. and you know to take it a step further, you disable usernames and passwords altogether, and you do it based off of public and private keys. Right. So there. So the amount of access that you're able to that you give is pretty restricted. Like it essentially allows access only to given folders and only for things like downloading or uploading and not, not write access, not, not like execute access. No, no commands can be executed right, through, right, through right. that access. And that's the key. Mm -hmm. And with that, we had to, you know, work out some issues with FileMaker permissions because there's always that, uh, that fun little bit. Yeah. FMS admin, FMS server. <laughs> you get yeah. to know them very well. Yep. Yep. Um, so, so what I'm hearing a lot of though, is that the key to this is you have to keep it up to date, like whether it's your backup strategy, 
whether it's your VPN, whether it's your firewall, whether it's your OS, you have to keep it up to date. It can't just sit there forever without being patched because as these things drift back in time, more and more hackers figure out ways to get access to older versions of the operating system, older versions of the VPN, et cetera. So that becomes a pretty important part of the job when you're running a server is maintenance, keeping that up to date. Is that true? That is true. Most certainly, you know, patches must be routinely uh, kept up with, you know, whether it be the OS patches, you know, even FileMaker. FileMaker's got good reasons for a lot of their updates. You know, they're patching OpenSSL in a lot of cases, which, you know, could be an issue. Look at the Log4J thing that that just happened. I mean, look at how many software platforms just had to patch all of their their software just to, to remediate that. Is there a difference with operating systems? Like is, is, are, are any of the three that you can run server on now inherently more secure or less secure, or is it really just a matter of knowing how to lock down each of those different OSs? It's definitely a matter of knowing how to lock down each of the different OSs. Um, all have their strong suits, all have their weak points, and you're going to find vulnerabilities across the board. And it's just a, like I said before, it's a matter of closing those those uh, tunnels down, so so people have less of a chance of of getting in or discovering that. Yeah. Do we have a preferred OS? I was just curious. For automatic, do we tend to prefer one OS over another, just internally? Internally, we're we're deploying mostly uh, Linux and Windows platforms, um, depending on on. Uh, demand for M1, we might dabble a little into that realm, but uh, right now those are our two major ones. Yeah, the M1 is interesting. It's changing the economics. Um, we'll see whether that whether that becomes a real, a real hosting platform. Um, but Linux and Windows are certainly the, uh, you know, Windows has been the, the, you know, the sort of go-to for really ever in terms of hosting. And now mm-hmm. Linux is just becoming uh, a thing, and it looks like it's going to be very compelling. Certainly, what what I tend to default towards is, is just give me a Linux box. It's um, the easy to maintain, smallest, uh, you know, cheapest, uh, all that stuff. Don't have to worry about the Microsoft licensing, <laughs> right? No Microsoft <laughs> licensing, which is you know, which is real. It costs money. Linux does yeah. not. So there's that too. Yeah. Now. Uh, all of this is is reminding me about documentation. So mm-hmm. backups, firewalls, anti-malware, antivirus <laughs> scanning, that's all well and good. But if something does happen catastrophically, you've got to have it well documented so you can bring that system back online and functioning as quickly as possible. So knowing what you've done to that server, critical. And there's tools out there to help you. You know, ClickUp is a great tool. ClickUp can can uh, help you uh, create a good documentation flow and and uh, whatnot for for your setup. Um, open source software like uh, uh, Bookstack, a great one too for for documenting all things. You can either uh, purchase or you know Bookstack's case, you can host that one yourself if you wanted to. We yeah, when you're through- talking about documentation, you're talking about documenting how you've run into these problems, how you're going to solve these problems, what's next steps to take. Is that what you're talking about there? More so the configuration of the server, um, but steps on, you know, how to fix something again, 
would be ideal as well in that documentation. We go through that all the time. You know, we'll uh, take Windows 2016 server, for instance. There is an issue with older versions of Safari, say on uh, the 1015 platform and HTTP2. Um, you'll get that nice little NX100 error on your Safari window. Document the fact that you have to change or add two reg keys to that server in order to fix that problem. That way, if you have to deploy it again, you know the process or a tech coming in or a level uh, entry level tech coming in can find that and do that as well. Yeah, and especially if you're a if you're a uh, if you're a small business and you don't have people who are you know 100% dedicated to monitoring the server um this becomes even more important because what if that person leaves or is not available in the middle of some, of, a, of of an attack or just plain old corruption, right? File file goes bad, what do you do? Um if you don't have dedicated personnel for that, documentation is going to save your butt. It's all well and good that you have backups, but how do you get to those offsite backups? Where are they? You know, what, yeah. what, where are they? Are they in S3? Are they in Wasabi? What are the mm-hmm. credentials? Um, you know, all that stuff needs to be somewhere. Um, and you should have a plan for that. Yeah. I've, you know, not too far in the past, uh, heard from a company whose purchasing agent had left and they didn't know the extent of what that credit card had been applied to. So their hosting account with one of the the larger providers out there sat and became unpaid for almost 60 days. And they lost all of their infrastructure in one go. Luckily, they were able to open up some support tickets and, and get the majority of it back and, and restore. But you know, it's it's scary stuff that 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 people really need to pay attention to. Yeah, like if you're using a cloud provider and you go into arrears, guess what? They shut you down. <laughs> and all of a sudden your FileMaker server stops working. And if you don't know, um, you know, some, I mean, it's not on, it's not unheard of for some of our, you know, smaller customers to not actually be aware of who's doing their hosting. You know, not mm-hmm. everybody at the company is actually aware of who's doing the hosting. And there's not, it's not really clear. Who do you call when that happens kind of thing? And if that point of contact left, then that's it. (laughs) It's crazy how simple hosting looks from the outside, right? Like I can think of things I've hosted in the past or asking you to host stuff for my clients. It's like, here's what I need. You ask me a few questions. I have a server. There are files that are hosted. My clients are happy. Like it all seems so, so simple and, and straightforward, but behind the scenes, there's so much going on, right? I mean, you're, you're monitoring, you're making sure that the setup is correct. You're documenting things. You're keeping track of, of how things are looking or offering suggestions if, if we need more space or if something's going on, right? So Most certainly. It's, it's a little intense to hear what your role it really looks like uh, because my you make it really easy for me. <laughs> so thank you for that. I don't think I've said thank you yet. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, I mean, there's other things, right? We, we talked about, obviously, there's attacks, yep. but there's just corruption, Right. Right. Databases do. It has happened. Um, There's also uh, data centers themselves have issues. Networks have issues. The internet has issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Right. There's, there have been some, some pretty big data center failures that have put people out for a period of hours or or days. Um, Have have we had to deal with any of those recently, Angelo? Uh, Ourselves, not particularly, um, but 
the ones that do come to mind, um, there was a cloud provider called OVH Cloud. They're they're uh, you know a fairly large um, private cloud provider, but they had a data center fire in uh, Strasbourg that uh, took out one and a half data centers. Um, their their availability zones, quote unquote. Um, they had one primary and then three secondaries, very uh, in very close proximity. So fire happened in uh, building two damaged uh, a good chunk of building one and took out 62% of their public cloud, including backups. And they were still mitigating up until, you know, a few days ago <laughs> when oh, they goodness. finally released the, the, the last of it. And I think they ended up um, recovering uh, a fairly decent chunk, but, but a year out in that, in that uh, situation, can, can your business survive? for a year without backups and, and, and running. And, and it even happens to the biggest. Right. AWS, um, back in, uh, 2019, I think it was August. Um, their rest in Virginia, their largest data center had a power failure and their backup generators kicked on, uh, ran for, you know, an hour and, and maybe hour and a half. And then they all failed. They ran out of um, fuel or something, probably. <laughs> no, no, no. They the hardware failures. Oh, really? No, yeah, no. it was just kaput. Um, so they ended up losing um, a whole row of EC2 and EBS block store um, uh, on on a particular floor, and I think it am- amounted to only one percent of their business. But when your business in a single data center is, you know millions of customers, <laughs> you know, that's, you know, 1% is a, a very big number of people who lost their block store and their, their instance. And what happens if your backups, you, you know, I know with AWS, you can do snapshots with your block store, but what happens when all of that's gone? You know, what was your fail safe? Did you have that extra backup media uh, or offsite backup outside of that cloud provider or even replicated it to S3 and pushed it to, you know, multiple availability zones? Did you do that or did your consultant do that? Something to bring up and ask. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in general, especially for some of our smaller customers, just getting their server into the cloud is probably better than them running it themselves in a closet somewhere, you know, <laughs> without even a UPS backup or, or, um, or any power backup or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, so getting to the cloud helps, but it's not an answer to all of your, to all of your problems because you still have things like data centers failing. You still have ransomware attacks. You still have issues with employees, maybe trying to log into things that shouldn't, they shouldn't log into. So it's only a step. It's only a step in the right direction to get maybe out of your own, IT infrastructure into a cloud, but unless you do all these other things, you're still subject to to potential loss and lo- losing critical data could still yeah. happen. Yeah, most certainly. Yeah, we definitely forget. I mean, it's again just like it's easy to realize all the stuff that the hosting team is doing. It's easy to forget that the cloud just means someone else's data center, <laughs> yeah. someone else's computer, object, someone yeah. else's computer. Exactly right. So yeah. We're still dealing with those physical things that can happen, along with all the other virtual things that can happen, right? That can happen online. Yeah. I mean, the cloud gives you probably better internet connection, more, yeah. you know, more redundant internet connection, probably gives you a less likely that your 
your particular server is going to fail. Um, you know, they probably handle that aspect of, of that. You don't have to worry about, you know, they're going to do a better job with say power failure than you will. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> so they'll handle that, that sort of thing, but it doesn't mean you're protected from any of these other issues. Mm-hmm. You still have to deal with that. Now, a lot of the cloud providers out there and, and, and we do this as well, you know, our, our engineering teams will, will keep an eye on the servers and monitor the physical nodes for failure signs. And, you know, I know AWS recently just enabled this across the board. And, and like I said, we, we do this as well, but, you know, once an error is detected or an issue is detected, the, the VMs are migrated from one host node to another to, to help, um, you know, not cause a problem right. or drop your VM or data um, going forward. Yeah. And some of the so some of the other smaller providers, you know, are still playing catch up with that, and and that's got to be something to consider too. Right, you're right. So, I, I think one thing I'm curious about, um, and I think we'll touch on auto here a little bit. Um, when it comes to being a developer, um, I have for a long time rested on a on a hosting team to do the the bulk of the work and carry stuff on, but as a developer, I can cause harm accidentally too, right? I can write bad code. I can be doing dev on a live server. Um, what are ways to mitigate that kind of stuff? And, and what do we do to, to help to prevent that, that from happen, happening too often? The you know best solution, again, uh, you mentioned before is, is using a, a piece of software like Auto. Uh, you know, Auto's got the FM migrator tool wrapped into it, gives you a nice clean interface uh, to, to manage um, your development copy and pushing that dev copy to prod. So, you know, doing your dev development in, in an isolated uh, server and pushing it to production is going to help uh, alleviate some of that issue. And then, uh, like I said before, a, a solid backup plan where you've either got snapshots running or snapshots and backups running um, to, to get back if something, you know, critical fails and you have to keep going. Yeah, I mean, Auto has has the dev prod thing down, but it also has S3 backups. That's right. Um, you can set up offsite S3 backups with it. So if you're running in your own data center or you're running your own, you know, you've got AWS or something else set up and you're running auto on it, then you do get the ability to set up an offsite backup to a different S3 provider, for example. So so that's a nice, a nice advantage too. Like I, I think, so auto is is going to be and is, and we're going to continue to evolve it into being um, sort of the the thing that gives you this kind of base level of protection on your own server, right? Um, whereas Automatic is our full platform that handles everything. Uh, and so it's going to handle things that Auto won't be able to do, like monitoring, things like that. So Auto is kind of like, you know, the step for the, the first couple steps you can take, and then Automatic is 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 basically everything we can think of to make your data safe um and you know in sort of all of those ways a lot of years of experience that that went together to to put all of this together <laughs> absolutely absolutely angel any you know if you were to summarize you know we've talked a lot about we've talked about a lot of different things but like if you had to summarize and say hey look if you had to take away just a couple of things from this podcast and about how to you know potentially manage your own uh your own hosted uh, server or having a hosting company, what are some of the things that you would really want people to focus on and, and be aware of? You know, focus on 
focus on backups most definitely. And then monitoring second, those are going to be your, your two critical things. And then always be aware of access, you know, who you've granted access to, what is open to the public world, um, and, and what can be locked down. Um, those things will save your bacon, um, for lack of a better word. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Yeah. Backups, 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 encryption at rest, backups are two things you can do, um, that will really save your, save your bacon as Angelo says. Yeah. It takes one time to really feel the pain, right? You you forget one time you've, you don't realize something turned off, whatever it might be. Uh, you loaded a new server and didn't save your, your, your settings. Yeah. I think we've all, we probably all are a little bit sensitive to it because I I know that I've felt the pain at least once. Uh, and there's a lot of regret and sadness and (laughs) a lot of time lost. I mean, really it's productivity gets lost, you know, you know, it really has a huge impact on a business. So I hear you on that. All right. That's a good one. That's a good takeaway. All right. Well, this has been fantastic. I, I can't say it enough, but Angela, I am thankful to have you on the team and to get your yeah, support. You have supported me both at Proof Geist. You've supported me in the past when I was when my clients had uh, needed your hosting for for your previous uh, endeavors. Um, but it's awesome to have have you lead a team that can that can really take care of of hosting clients and and us as well on the on the development side. So thank you for that. This has been great, um, Todd. Sure. Thank you too. I know it's always great to hear what you've got to say about this stuff. Um, I Thanks, appreciate everybody. It. Yeah. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. Hey, it's Martha Zink again. Thank you for joining us as we talked about protecting your data hosted by FileMaker Server. I have to admit that I am lucky enough that I get to work with Angelo and Todd all the time, but it is really cool to have them on the podcast and to be able to share these conversations with you. In the show notes, you'll find a link to the previous podcast. We talked a little bit about ransomware. And so that was a podcast that Jeremy Brown recorded with Heidi Porter, Chris Moyer, and Wim Decourt. And just a reminder that this episode will be available on both YouTube and as a podcast. Now, if you can take a minute to pause and subscribe, I would love it. And better yet, if you can share it with a friend, that'd be pretty great. No matter if you're a FileMaker developer, a consultant, a user, a project manager, a designer, whatever your role is in this community, you are proof of how amazing this community really is. My job is just to help spread the knowledge and to share your story on the podcast. Find me on Twitter at MZ123 or at ProofGeist, and let's share your story. 